never know who I'm going to be having lunch with. It's like having breakfast with like an expert on time machines and then having lunch with the anthropologist who runs the pyrotechnic lab and then, you know, having dinner with a bunch of architecture students who are trying to like question space time in the fourth dimension. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just like, I think my brain's gonna explode. And this is like every day here. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. I'm Andrea Gallego. And I'm Corinne Lines. Each episode of this podcast, we're speaking to amazing women making an impact in STEM. Today, we're speaking with Dana Carwes. She's the director of the Center for Collaborative Arts and Media, or CCAM, at Yale University. So Corinne, tell me a little bit more about how you know Dana. Dana and I met through mutual friends back in 2008, and shortly after I took part in a large-scale public art installation of Dina's called Party Dress. And the images do it more justice, but basically five women are bustled together in this dress apparatus, and each woman then ascends a ladder of differing heights, and there are various performances that take place within the party dress underneath. So I'm looking at these pictures and I need to say for our audience that we have to find a place to put these for you all to see because this is the most insane thing I've ever seen. So basically Corinne looks like she's 13, maybe 20 feet tall. I kid you not. And she's in this like room that's like cladded with wood and there's some like really old aristocratic pictures on the walls and candles and a little bit like maybe creepy haunted um, mansion sort of vibe. It was it was a very uh, interesting scene. That's awesome. This is like one of the many things Dana has done, which sounds really amazing. Um, what else did you learn from her? Yeah. So Dana, in our discussion, she provides some amazing insights into what a career in academia looks like and some of the fascinating projects that she's been working on at the center. And they really offer the intersections between science, technology, art, and research. That's awesome. I like to listen to things like this, which is like so, it's just so nice to hear that there are people working on the intersection between art, design, technology, anthropology, like to see what comes out of that, the sort of magic that gets created from all of that. So I really, really can't wait to hear more about what you guys spoke about. So here's that conversation. Dana, thank you so much for being here with us today. If you wouldn't mind, would you introduce yourself a little bit to our audience? Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be a part of this. And I can tell you a little bit about what I'm doing now and a little bit of my background to kind of further string all of the archipelago of experiences I've had together in my bio. Currently, I'm the director of the Center for Collaborative Arts and Media, also known as CCAM at Yale University. I'm also faculty at the Yale School of Architecture. And my role is very exciting. It's a non-traditional academic role in which I occupy a leadership position as well as a faculty position. So I've been the director uh, in my big girl pants now for about three years since, <laughs> uh, <laughs> since January 2019. And I was in New York for about 15 years, hustling, teaching, running a production company, always doing a bunch of crazy projects. And now it, it's a little more calm my day to day, but also more intense. And in addition to running this interdisciplinary art center at Yale and teaching, I have my own practice that oscillates between art and some consulting. And it's kind of like a choose your own adventure every single day. I have a lot of different 
projects and people, and I'm interfacing with many different scales of people and organizations, and it's super fun. I have become the person that people want to come talk to about their projects. It's kind of like art therapy. So anything from a student that wants, like a, a student that wants to make a see-through wall or a visiting artist from another part of the university wants to do a more kind of experimental project or remix, they always end up at CCAM. And sometimes I don't know why they're here. They're just like, go to CCAM, talk to Dana. And I'm a little bit of a troublemaker on campus because... <laughs> Not that I steal other people, but I end up kind of engaging with these people and they end up really liking it here. And we usually come out with a project. So it's kind of a mix of a couple different threads on why this happened. So in my own work, I I have work that kind of oscillates between sculpture, visualization and architecture. And that kind of bleeds into my teaching and practice and is very integrated in the center as well. And I'm looking at perception and asking questions of how do you see something? And a lot of that falls into data and data visualization and looking at things in a new way, but using the most kind of advanced technology and systems to experiment with. As an artist myself, and also I'm able to kind of conceptually help them maybe think through a a unique workflow because a lot of my practice uh, uses data sets from heartbeats or uh, data sets from neuroscience or weird earthquake data sets and translates those into something that is maybe questions of truth about how do we interpret something such as an earthquake. So I get a lot of people and projects that want to maybe follow their own unique process of getting from data to a artwork or a, a set piece or whatever they want to do. Okay, cool. Awesome. So Dana, what sorts of projects are you currently involved in at CCAM? So my, the center I run is not an academic program, so we don't give out a degree. We end up getting overflow from students that want to do a more ambitious project that would maybe be longer than a semester long work or faculty that want to incubate or start a project at CCAM. And at CCAM, we, our mission is to initiate and support interdisciplinary work at Yale. So we are able to incubate very exciting projects. Uh, one of them is the Turing Opera Project. So there's a professor at the School of Drama, Matthew Sutter. He's a New, a New Zealand-born composer and has been teaching at Yale for over 20 years in the School of Drama, and he teaches music and composition. Matthew went over to England and visited the Turing archives, and he was able to get a hold of every single Turing text. And if there's one thing about Alan Turing, his cadence is very specific. And what Matthew did was he took each one of these texts and fed them into a natural language processing algorithm called GPT-3, which is out of California, this group, I believe, called OpenAI. And they have this amazing algorithm and they fed all the Turing texts into it and they were able to generate the opera or the voice of Turing, and it sounds very much like things maybe he would say, but a robot made them. So the joke is on the audience in some cases, but what makes it interesting is a human is singing these words as the libretto of the opera. I'm a Turing machine, baby. I'll go on forever, baby. 
an AI-based opera that functions as a giant Turing test, and there's about 20 people involved, and we do all sorts of experiments for it. That's a, a great example of the type of work that comes through here and the type of work that we support and we're involved with. Second to that, we we have a, a range of interdisciplinary work within the arts. So maybe it's an artist working with, maybe it's a sculptor or painter working with a musician. That's more traditional collaboration at, in the arts. Uh, and now it's gotten a little more wild up here because we have a lot of scientists that are very interested in amplifying their relationships to the arts and also a lot of artists that are very interested in scientific information. And the meeting point with that is data in most cases or some technological instrument like an orrery or some type of measuring device or an electron microscope. So there's these kind of bridges that are being created through advanced technology, whether it's uh, hardware or software that allows these collaborations to happen. And that's something that the Center for Collaborative Arts and Media helps facilitate. We try to bring artists that are doing this type of work. We try to generate this work. Got it. Okay. So that's fascinating. Okay. Well, do you have any examples of projects you're working on at CCAM currently that use science and data technology instruments in collaboration with artistic practice that you could share with us? The second project I wanted to mention is a uh, a project in which we're working with a bunch of animal migrations as data. So they're able to track how birds migrate from North America to South America. And it's this beautiful, complex algorithm they've created for identifying the movement of the individual species itself within that group. We're able to get a very beautiful map of how animals migrate across the world. And these data streams, these routes, these passages aren't just for birds, they're also for fish and mammals and all types of animals. So they kind of have this incredible archive of animal movement that artists are now working with the positional data to intersect with music theory and also with visualization to turn these animal migration patterns of movement into tonal sounds or some type of melody. the person walking up to this project would maybe be able to understand animal movement through some type of sonic relationship to what they're actually doing. And maybe the scientists could learn something new from that. I don't know. That wouldn't be the outcome, but it's a new way of seeing and measuring movement through sonic, creative sonic output. And then we're also adding visuals to that. Uh, How do you, by seeing how these animals move, if you're thinking of it outside of a map or we feed that into a, a generative artistic visualization, maybe into another type of artistic system. Maybe we we throw it into a weather map. What would that look like? It's remapping this kind of data pile that we have from the scientists and having the ability to play with the data in a new way that is super exciting here. And it brings up questions of what do you see? What do you hear? How, How can we learn something more about this information and take a moment with it outside of the hyper-pressurized kind of metric of scientific 
study and give it some freedom to be to live in another medium or another space. Uh, and that's that's the type of work I think that is very exciting happening here and other places as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's so interesting. And when this glorious sort of patchwork of your history, I feel like you could have gone anywhere into like the private sector of business or obviously you're pursuing academia at this moment. Can you share like what are some of the positives or what are some of the great things about being in academia and what are some of the things that are maybe not so great or some of the things that are more appealing that you sometimes think about in being in the public sector that kind of is alluring or something you're considering maybe at a future point? Well, one thing about academia is there's like too much to explore. There's so much going on, so many interesting people to meet with, especially in my role, because I'm also doing a ton of outreach, trying to meet like interesting people and projects and research and students and learn about all of that. And it, and synthesizing that can be quite a challenge to dial back and say, okay, well, what does our programming look like for the next year with all of this exciting stuff happening? That's why I love it because I never know like who I'm going to be having lunch with. It's like having breakfast with like an expert on time machines and then having lunch with the anthropologist who runs the pyrotechnic lab. And then, you know, having dinner with a bunch of architecture students who are trying to like question space time in the fourth dimension. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just like, I think my brain's going to explode. And this is like every day here. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's super fun. <laughs> and, I, and sometimes that's overwhelming. I think the challenge for a lot of people in academia is job growth. And a lot of tenure positions do not exist. So in order to advance and have a lot of freedom, the tenure role is what everyone wants. But a lot of institutions, I'm seeing this happen all over, they don't have a lot of tenure positions available and they have other types of positions like industry professor or, and I think that those traditional academic paths require extreme hustle from the person occupying them. So there's books, there's other side gigs, there's consulting. I've seen in more of the science and technology fields, people can run labs and get a lot of funding. You can get a ton of funding from grants. And that's one way to kind of make it, make it go and, and find job growth. But there's definitely like a, a limit. There's a ceiling at some point. CCAM feels like this intersection though of like science and art and technology. And so it's interesting that it's kind of branded as art when really it's this like really merging of all these different interesting fields. So it feels like a little unfair in a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we're still trying to figure out our identity because I think that we get a lot of the people that are interested in the arts and we have a lot of kind of the look and feel of us is uh, our interdisciplinary art center, but we are doing a ton of projects, like intersecting projects with science. So everyone wants to come here, basically. That makes sense. That makes sense. I wanted to kind of branch and talk a little bit about what about sort of being a woman and have there been challenges or even have there been opportunities because of it? And like to piggyback on that also, like being a mom I mean, there's always something with being a woman in tech, being a woman in academia. And I think that I've learned to have a sharper elbow along the way. And that has been useful because, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm a woman, I get more pushback on ideas or whatever I'm doing. Uh, but I do think that having a great network of mentors has helped me kind of navigate academia and having a, a few lifelines in certain situations has helped me 
at the center, we're always trying to just have a big arm <laughs> that comes out to everyone, almost like a psychological hug that says, you belong here. Like just making sure to be very inclusive. That's important. And then, oh, being a mother. Yes. It's weird. It like oscillates because sometimes I want to say to all my students, like, I'm also a mom, you know, like, but I do like to bring being a mother into the conversation. I used to teach with my son and my carrier and I didn't ask if I could do that. I just did it. And I was worried about it. But then my boss came up to me afterwards and said, this is so great. It's showing other other graduate students and other faculty that this is a place that you can do that. I think it's really great because I think it's a piece of that sort of like bringing your whole self that feels really nice to hear that you're kind of not hesitating to say like, this is an aspect of me and this is an aspect and this is all of me. And like, I think that there's like greater benefit of that sort of broadening, you know, just, just sort of broadly presenting yourself in that authentic context. There's a point when I was teaching at one of my previous institutions where I was like, I am paying to be away from my son and I'm paying more than I'm making to be away from him. And that struck me. I was like, what am I doing? I need to make a change. And that was so frustrating to have to negotiate all of that and, and figure it out. And I think a lot of people face those decisions and it's complicated, but yeah, that encouraged me to make, make a change. In hindsight, like what, what advice would you share with women who are looking to find a job in tech or what have you learned in your career journey so far that you could share with our audience? I think for people looking to make a career change or to expand their current role, I think it's important to think of it as a giant system. So there's a lot of pressure to learn how to code or go get a Java book and teach yourself Java and then you'll, you'll be technical. The people I know that have the most exciting jobs in tech are the ones that are able to communicate about it or write about it or project manage within it or direct a project. So it's, there's so many roles within technology. It's not just coding. So, you know, I think that there's multiple ways in, but I think it's looking at technology as an entire system and your relationship to it. Yeah. Like what speaks to you, what resonates with you. And then it's like, let's say, find the thing that brings a sparkle to your eye, pursue that, you know? So it's, that really resonates with me and it's like super valuable. Thank you for saying that. That was our conversation with Dana Carwas, director of CCAM at Yale University. So Andrea, what were some of the things that really stood out for you in this conversation? So she was amazing. Right. She was amazing. I can't. It's funny because I was listening through it and I was just like, I wonder if there's going to be a way to connect tech right to the work that she's doing in the arts. And then she mentioned the Turing thing. And I'm like, what? Well, how did that even that was so amazing to take all of all of that language, put it into GPT-3 and then hear Alan Turing like that is just I mean, to be able to hear someone like that, it's like saying, I wish I could hear Albert Einstein again, saying something in the present is so, so amazing. Yeah, one of the things that stood out to me, and maybe not, I don't know if it did for you too, but I thought it was interesting that she said like, I just strapped my kid to my chest and like went to class and taught my lecture and like, you know, I asked for forgiveness later. Like, 
I mean, I had never even heard that story, like, and kind of like what challenges she was facing and that she was just head on, like, let me just go for this and see what the reaction is and just deal with the consequences. Like, kind of courageous, like, I don't know. Inspiring, inspiring you know? Yeah. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> yes, inspiring. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> this has been In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. Corinne and Andrea out. <laughs> 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 My job.